Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Forrester CX Cast. This is Sam Stern, joined in studio by my colleague Gabriella on the other side of the glass, and sitting in front of me, my colleague TJ Kitt. Hi, TJ. Hi, Sam. And on the phone, we have our colleague Tony Costa. Hello, Tony. Hello, Sam. And we wanted to talk today about mapping customer journeys and with a particular focus, and EJ, this is why you're here, just in case you were wondering, uh, on B2B customer journeys. So I'm wondering if you can maybe start us off by talking about the challenges. What, what makes it sort of more difficult or different to map a B2B customer journey from mapping a regular run-of-the-mill B2C customer journey? Uh, sure. So I'll start, Tony, um, and then you know, feel free to, to hop in. I think the, the key thing to remember is that when you're talking about the customer, the quote-unquote customer in yeah. B2B customer experience, the customer could actually be a collection of people who mm. have similar interests but are not actually the same person. So when you're talking about mapping the customer journey or the business's interaction with the customer, what you could actually be really mapping out here is a series of interactions that a series of individuals are happening either with each other within their organization mm. or each individually interacting with your business. And so that yeah. raises some questions about whose journey it is that you're mapping and why is it important to map that individual's journey in order to understand what is actually going to be affecting of the relationship going forward. So take, for example, a, uh, a help desk scenario. So mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm a tech guy. I usually go back to tech scenarios, so right. bear with me. If you have a, um, a situation in which your corporate IT help desk is calling a software vendor to get what is referred to as tier one support for a technical problem, the actual help desk agent is the representative of the organization, but the person on whose behalf they're calling could be another employee or another set of employees in that company. Mm. So when you're talking about mapping that help desk technician's journey, what you could actually be mapping out is a series of interactions that that individual had with his own internal customers that then led him to then reach out to your organization as the software vendor to kick off that process of receiving support. Okay. That's interesting. So likely there's a lot more context to understand both before and after the journey you're looking at and maybe in parallel about other people that whose journeys might depend on or uh, you know, the, this journey that you're mapping might be dependent upon, right, to, to understand what's really happening and what their motivations are in that journey. Correct. And you can see these things. And <clears throat> Tony has a, has a good way of, um, of describing this in some of our advanced journey mapping workshops. I mean, you can see these things in B2C scenarios as well. Mm-hmm. But I think it, it comes up a lot more often in B2B scenarios because of that, that example that I just gave you there where you can have an actor that is representative of the organization and the organization's issues, or you could just have multiple individuals from that organization working with the business at different points in the uh, account life cycle. So it's really important to have an understanding of who these individuals are, what they represent, what agreement networks within the business they fit into, and then how, again, all of that comes together to affect the ultimate disposition of the business relationship. Great. I'd add to that, but also that, you know, one of the differences that often comes up when you think about B2B versus B2C is that not only is this definition of the customer very complicated on the B2B side um, by these sort of networks of individuals, but 
you know, that who that customer is may actually change from every journey to, you know, every journey that you engage in with the customer across the life cycle um, or the relationship you have. So if you think about, you know, a purchase, um, that may be, you know, a purchasing agent, you know, a contracting person who managed to does that for a company. Um, that's not the person who would be the person to set up um, and install or, or get the, the equipment running or whatever it might be that was purchased, um, which probably isn't the person who actually uses it. Um, and to TJ's point, it's not the same person who helps support it. Right. Um, so in B2C scenarios, it's usually the same person you're interacting with no matter the, what the journey is. Um, and in B2B, that's just highly fragmented where every interaction uh, or at least every journey that you engage customer with um, might be a very different individual. Um, yeah. And that sort of network and all the, you know, the expectations and strengths and everything else might vary from journey to journey. And that just introduces a lot more complexity in terms of how you have to think about who your customer is in the B2B context. Yeah, that's a really interesting point because I think, you know, in a customer, in a B2C scenario, sure, you have different segments or personas and they might mm -hmm. have then have different likely ways they're going to complete a journey or different motivations or different understanding but yep. what you're talking about is absolutely fundamentally different roles of these mm -hmm. you know the buyer versus the uh, setup person versus the user versus the service contact i mean they're different in kind not just in sort of points of emphasis so you, uh, to your point and you were both sort of hitting on this that it's it's just you can't say, oh, well, we mapped it for, for this user, so we, we, we understand a lot of the issues for this other user. Uh, there's almost no way to uh, between those different phases of the B2B customer mm -hmm. lifecycle. Right, yeah. Yeah, and Sam, you brought up a nice point there also that, um, you know, even with, you know, this idea of personas in the customer world, you know, the, the sort of B2C world, you know, that still applies to some extent in the B2B world because, you know, you might have, you know, say, you know, yeah. per company purchasing enterprise software, that might be a brand new purchase for them, a piece of software they've never had, or they may want to migrate from another system, or it might be, you know, a massive organization, you know, 100,000 person organization who's purchasing it, or a small, you know, 5,000 person operation that's purchasing it, right? Just as customer, you know, consumer customers, B2C customers um, have different personas, those B2B customers are going to have the same types of personas, or at least different types of personas that you're going to have to take into consideration to really understand who they are at that journey as well. And I think the, you know, if we're, we're still trying to lay out some of the differences here, I think one of the, the things that we mentioned in the report that is important to raise here is the dependence that many B2C or B2B scenarios have on partner ecosystems to deliver mm -hmm. the experience. Yeah. Uh, you know, so if you're talking about enterprise sales and a lot of tech companies, that's going to be handled by uh, your partners who are helping you deal with that long tail of customers. You may focus some of your energy and some of your, your, your limited sales capabilities on serving your highest value customers. Right. But for your kind of mid-level and you know, more transactional sorts of customers, you may transition all of that customer relationship out to partners who are helping do the sales implementation support and so on. So, those clients are still looking at basically a box with your name on it. And hmm. there still is an intention that you have around the customer experience. You just want the partner to deliver that. And so the question becomes, as you're thinking about how you map out those journeys, it's what those handoffs are between you and your partner 
And then how is the partner actually executing upon your intended experience? And that can be something very difficult to get at because a lot of your partners could be very concerned about you talking to their customers and disintermediating them. Right. Things like that that make it very difficult to do that sort of customer research that's going to help you understand whether or not your partners are actually delivering the experience you'd like. Yeah, I guess uh, they're, they're, they're not trusted partners or they, they, they worry about that if they uh, are so concerned by user research. But I, 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 I'm joking, half joking, but that's, I can see why that's such a valid concern. It's like, why do you want to understand this journey so well? Are you cutting right. me out of this journey? Are you taking over this piece of it? Right. Um, okay, well, so we, we see a lot of challenges. And TJ, you, you alluded to the report, uh, which I'll, I'll mention the name of in case listeners are looking to find it, called The Top 5 Challenges for Mapping B2B Customer Journeys. I think you've hit on almost all five, at least, here. Um, I don't want to leave our, our, our listeners in a you know, pit of despair here. How do, you, how do you solve for some of these problems that you guys have talked about with all this complexity and all these you know, sort of interlocking pieces and these dependencies? Uh, what should um, customer experience teams at B2B companies interested in mapping journeys do about this? Um, so one thing you can do is when you think about just, you know, the, the sort of the group of customers who you're really truly interacting with. So you know, we talked earlier about how, you know, purchasing or getting help um, for an employee may have a whole series of people behind the scenes who are involved in that discussion. Stakeholder mapping is kind of one way you can start uh, to begin diagramming out and identifying these different rings of people you're interacting with. So there might be the person you're directly interacting with, but then stakeholder mapping sort of creates these concentric rings of different levels of involvement in that, that interaction. So it might be the, you know, the corporate customer support person who's there that you're directly interacting with. The next ring out might have the different employees or different people in the organization who are involved with that on a purchase journey. The center of that stakeholder map might be sort of the, the purchasing agent or the per- contracting person who you're interacting with. There may be a whole committee of people that surround that individual. And so stakeholder maps are kind of a way to start thinking about, you know, who that customer is and beginning to build out the entire network of people in, inside that customer um, that are involved in that specific journey. And then I think on the on the research side, the gorilla, we have some gorilla research um, methods that we've seen that seem to be pretty effective. So, for example, uh, Cisco at their customer conference, which they refer to as Cisco Live, has set up a booth for their customer experience team on the showroom floor. So within the context of the conference, they'll have their partners hmm. purchase booths that they can display their offerings that complement what Cisco does. So Cisco just instead of you know selling every single spot, set up a spot on the floor for their customer experience team. So as their customers are kind of cycling through that that area, what they come across, come upon is a Cisco CX booth that allows for them to come and talk to the CX team about their experiences working with Cisco. And part of that effort um, or part of that experience that they have there at that booth with the CX people is they can actually fill out their own journey map. Yeah. So they, it allows huh. for them to um, you know, take some pre-printed stickies that kind of give some sense of where they're going and then fill in their own stickies and put those on the journey map to talk about the purchasing process. While they're doing that, they're able to give the CX professional that's helping them do this um, some feedback on what it is that they're seeing. So you can you can begin to see that you know you can kind of pick up people yeah. in a very casual setting that doesn't force you to raise any suspicions from your partners or from people who are not interested in having you talk <laughs> to your customers internally um, in, a, in a way that is 
you know, interesting and entertaining and fun for your customers. Yeah. Other ways of approaching this include things <clears throat> that I think Tony might have alluded to, which is kind of, you know, kind of doing the work of going to your customer-facing employees mm. and having them give you some feedback on what it is that they're, they're beginning to understand in the marketplace. One of the areas that you know, is really beginning to spring up inside of a lot of companies that's good at this sort of feedback is a customer success organization, individuals who are responsible for ensuring that what was promised in the pre-sale period is delivered in the post-sale period. And these individuals have a lot of interaction with customers trying to understand what is and what isn't working. And so they can give you some sense of who the key stakeholders are in their client accounts, what challenges they're facing, and what journeys to focus on as you move into that journey mapping process. Yeah. I think, I mean, it's interesting those are, you know, talking to employees or, you know, sort of doing the, using the guerrilla tactics to get some impromptu research from customers, but both sort of, you know, have the common thread of being opportunistic, right? You've got all these customer-facing employees who have lots of insights who are probably eager to tell you and share with you and, and, you know, explain to you what you don't understand about all the nuances of their intricate customer relationships, and there's a lot of truth to that. Right. And customers are, boy, wouldn't they love to tell you big vendor who they often don't get to interact with directly at, the, at that company's event. Well, let me tell you what it actually looks like from my perspective and share these insight with, insights with you. So I can see how sort of uh, it's almost cathartic for those two <laughs> groups that you, you use as examples to, to be able to share anyway. Yeah. Um, and, and the insights are, are, are so uh, important, so powerful together. I think, and I would be remiss if I didn't mention kind of one fu- final thing to look yeah, at. It's, sure. Companies gather a lot of information on their clients. You, know, it's, you call to get support. It yeah. generates a ticket. Um, you attend an event. It generates a record that you attended that event. So there's a lot of things that companies do um, just as a matter of keeping the lights on that gathers information on customers. And so there is a, a, a reservoir, essentially, yeah. of potential issues that the customer base is having that you would do well to begin to look at, see if there are upticks in tickets yeah. in certain areas or if there are uh, if there is a downturn in a, attendance on certain webinars that you guys are delivering. Things like that that would indicate that the customer is either not getting value there, is encountering problems, or I guess on the positive side, if there are potential opportunities, um, you know, to offer a diff- uh, offer additional services, right. or if there are things that seem to be working particularly well that you can then expand out into other areas. Yeah, uh, no, that makes sense. Well, great, uh, Tony and TJ, thank you for for joining us and sharing with our listeners. Um, we have lots and lots of resources on our website on mapping customer journeys, and then I think this report uh, is helpful to. Uh, put into greater context some of the challenges and then some of the solutions to those challenges for mapping B2B customer journeys, which is exactly what Tony and TJ have done. So thank you both for, for writing this report and for coming to talk to us about it. And listeners, we'll talk to you next week on CXCast. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to this week's CXCast. We'll post links to the reports we mentioned in the show notes for this podcast. And if you have questions or suggestions, please contact me at s-s-t-e-r-n at forrester.com. And remember, your customer's perception is your CX reality.